This is Oakley Anderson Moore, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. How do you show music on film? Historically, it's not something that filmmakers have given much regard. In a film about, say, a master violinist, you'll likely see cuts to awkward close-ups of a hand double who is brought in because he actually knows how to play. That's a tradition that the team behind Hearts Beat Loud, a film about an unlikely father-daughter songwriting duo, set out not to continue. While everyone knows Nick Offerman from his role as surly libertarian Ron Swanson, his character in Hearts Beat Loud is actually his first leading role. Director Brett Haley asked him not only to play the part, but to play the instruments. Authentic musical performances were crucial to this film. At this past South by Southwest, I sat down with Brett and Nick to find out how the realities of a stylistic choice like this translates on set. I was born, I was born in, in the lighthouse. lighthouse. My, My mother, mother was the sea. I come to school each morning when it occurred to me that life is just a mood ring we're not allowed to see. And this is what it said to me. My room is comfortably small <laughs> with rubble. and It's a They Might Be Giants song. Oh, yeah, it is. Absolutely Bill's Mood is the name of that song. That's a funny name. It's lovely. So well, everyone sounds great. Um, I'm sitting here with Brett Haley and Nick Offerman, who are the director and lead actor of a new film, Heartspeed Loud. Thank you so much for meeting with me. I'd love to ask you both a few questions about the making of this film. Shoot. Our pleasure. That sounds great. Yeah. So I guess my first question is for you, Brett. Um, Nick Offerman's character in the film is trying to prolong his daughter from leaving for college by convincing her to you know, be in a band with him and create music. So the film's very much grounded in music, which is why it's so fun to be able to see it here at South by Southwest. My question is, when you were coming up with the concept of the film, what comes first, the script and the idea, or the music that was going to be featured? Like, how did that process work? It, it was uh, a little bit of both, and it was a lot of back and forth of script revision plus song revision or, you know, talking to Keegan DeWitt, who wrote all the songs. Uh, some of the songs were uh, written in some form or fashion before the movie, um, okay. so I knew I wanted to use them in a, in a way. And... Um, Keegan and I would go back and forth of like, listen, I really need this song to do X or Y. I need it to tell the, the, the story of this or move the plot forward like this. Or I need a song that's about, you know, this emotional beat or character arc. And it, it was just, I mean, it was a very quick process, to be honest. And, and we just worked back and forth. So it was simultaneous. To, you know, that's the easiest way to describe it. It was madness, but it was at the same time. And so, Nick, what was your sort of musical background before you stepped into Hearts Beat Loud? Did you come to this as a trained musician or? Um, I guess a lot of people are not aware that I was in a band called In Excess. My stage name was Roland Orzable. Uh, <laughs> cheers for fear. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I blew it. Oh, <laughs> blew man, you blew the joke. Um, I grew up playing saxophone, I uh, played a little piano, um, and I've been playing guitar, acoustic guitar, for many years. Um, I love playing music, I love, uh, my, my wife's an incredible musician, and so there's a, a lot of music in our lives. Uh, this was 
however, um, I, I keep likening it to a, a superhero origin story montage where <laughs> it's, the, it's the first time I played electric guitar. So I, do, I worked really hard to get down the rudimentary riffs that I play in the movie. Um, but getting, you know, uh, getting to shoot those sequences and the, the live performances in the record store where I get to play bass as well and I got to play a little drums uh, was, you know, it, it, it was really exciting and scary because I'm not seasoned enough on those instruments to, to you know, be mellow about it. I, I was, hopefully I, I played it cool on camera, but I was, <laughs> I was sweating inside profoundly. Yeah, and I mean, that's one thing that, of course, you notice when you watch the film is about how, you know, comparing it to a long story of, long history of films which feature music where it's clearly the person's, the actor's lip syncing to some very nice overproduced song from the beginning of musicals and film and all that. And this very much doesn't have that feeling. It feels as if it's... That's good. Okay. That was so, the yeah. intent, <laughs> Good. for sure. It was an obsession of mine to what you just described that you would say that. <laughs> so I'm glad, very relieved and glad after seeing the film that you would say that because that was the hardest component of doing the film was ensuring that it didn't seem not real. The second it doesn't seem real, uh, the second the audience calls bullshit. They say, well, okay, this is a movie or whatever, you know, and one of the most powerful moments in, uh, you know, these types of movies is in Once, when they sing uh, Falling Slowly for the first time in the piano shop or the music shop, and they're, and you, you, it, there's, there, that shit's real, and you can feel it, and I get chills when I think about that moment. It's gorgeous. And so, and, and, it's, and it's gorgeous because it's real. It's honest, it's real, it's grounded. That, that's what I wanted from this movie. I, I wanted people to, I obviously wanted to do my own thing. I didn't want to do just what Carney did. I think I'm not going to try to retrace his steps. Um, so I tried to do my own version of that. And the way that I could do it was to say, well, the vocals in this need to be live. And, and you know, the mic that I'm talking into right now was like Kiersey was singing into that on the day and she had an earwig in so she can hear the music so that's the way we accomplish it you know when they did Les Miserables and certain sequences in La La Land and some other movies to get the live vocals earwigs are the way to do it and they're very temperamental they're hard you're not hearing it quite well Kiersey had to really really work hard I mean Nick has a whole song that he does on acoustic guitar and sings it's all in one take and it's unbroken. I don't cut it up. I don't edit it in any way, shape or form. It's there. It's real. And it should be emotional. It should make people say this is happening right now. Um, it was a huge, huge, huge part of this for me. So I hope when people see the film, they appreciate it and say, and it enhances the experience of the movie. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, being dedicated to having that as a part of the film and part of the aesthetic, how did that change the production um, I mean, you mentioned ear things, but how ear, what was it? Ear earwigs. Wigs. I mean, earwigs. We were it's just a weird term. I was like, yeah, earwig? ear Earwigs, yeah. Uh, yeah, how did that change production? And like, what were the logistics? Did you have to rehearse in a different way? Like, just tell us about how that changed everything. We were all learning. Like, we were all new to, I, I had never done anything like that. I don't know if you had. I have, but it's, uh, I mean. <laughs> now he tells you. Yeah, I've done it many times. <laughs> not, not, no. not, not playing electric guitar in a rock band, though. I mean, 
uh, all of us, like none of us were seasoned pros at what we were doing. And, and that's the magic of the film is that uh, you take music that's created by the talent of Keegan DeWitt and you convince the audience that Kiersey and I are, are creating it, yeah. it in real time as we watch. We're like, oh my God. They are amazing. Yeah, they're actually, I mean, that's why <laughs> that's, that's a really catchy song they came yeah, up with. Yeah, I mean, the recording sequence is so powerful because, I mean, you know, I'm not a songwriter, and I had to speak to Keegan and his, his writing partner, Jeremy Bullock, who was our kind of on-set kind of guru to help Nick and Kiersey do everything and make sure that it made sense. Like, well, what sound is this? Like, this right. electronic sound, how is that made? And he would have to show Kiersey and me, and then we'd be like, okay, well, let's get that, and... Let's get Nick playing the drums like this and the bass like this, and this is how it's recorded. And when an audience sees that, <clears throat> again, it goes back to this idea of authenticity. They go, okay, I'm buying it. That's, yeah, that's the key. And maybe that's the answer to your question is you, you have to work really hard. So <laughs> yeah. the guitar riffs, I could play all the riffs. And even though ultimately, you know, you, you use sweetened better tracks than what we're playing on the day, when you shoot the close-up of my hand, it's actually playing the right thing. That's the difference. That's how you make the magic. Right, we're not faking that. He's yeah. not He's not like, I'm not keeping it in a close-up and he's just doing this with his <laughs> I hand. Just you know? saw Which film. is like every other film right. where someone's violining and it's not even the right. Right, they're not even touching the strings. <laughs> I just saw a movie and they, sh and they, were, they kept showing close-ups of this guy playing lead guitar and singing. And, he, and uh, supposedly it was his lead vocal and it was really good. But he was literally was just gripping the the f strings, the neck, yeah. yeah, and and you know wiggling his his pick hand, and I was like, holy shit, that's really bold to to have that bad of fake playing yeah. in your shot. It's the norm. I mean, I think it it's easier to do that and just say, well, the audience wants to buy it, so they're gonna buy it. Right. Yeah. So it's, for us, it was no like one will notice. we want to see Kiersey hitting the the synth pad or the or the keys, and we want to see Nick playing the bass or the drums or the obviously the guitar. He's got some really big guitar sequences in this film, and I, I'm really impressed with how much these guys put into it. They really put in the hard work, and Keegan and Jeremy, you know, put, you know, gave them videos and in-person lessons and the whole thing, and <laughs> I was an annoyance, and it was great. <laughs> yeah, and the visual strategy also ties into it because you're also shooting it in a way so that people... That, that authenticity is there. Yeah. Can you speak a little to, to the strategy of how you wanted to shoot it to aid with the fact that it was actually live well, happening? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you want to connect things. So if you're on a close-up, like, tilt down and show the guitar or vice versa. Like, connect shots more than just be like, here's the close-up, now here's the cutaway. Right. I did a movie, my first movie ever, is called The New Year. And uh, an amazing actress named Trieste Kelly Dunn plays the lead. And... She has a sequence in the film where she gets a perfect game in bowling. And I was like, I'm not gonna do this thing where you throw the, it's a shot at you throwing the ball and then we cut to a close up of the pins going down. <laughs> I'm like, we're gonna get as many as we can. So we just spent hours on the lane, like setting up cameras in different angles, but they were always wide or always had her in the foreground. So you could tell that those are her legs or whatever, you know, it's hard to like get different angles but she just kept going and then she'd get a strike, she'd get a strike. So the same thing here, you wanna connect it to the audience, you wanna see it. And when you're in a close-up of Kiersey Clemens and she's singing, hearts beat loud and you see it, you feel it, it's the lyric. I mean, as you're seeing it on the mic, it's like, it gets me excited because we had to edit the movie 
with you know backing track and you you get kind of numb to it you're like well it's like a music video or whatever and then when you when we started doing the sound mix and putting the live vocals in there i was like oh wow this feel i mean it was scary because like i it was like i didn't recognize the song i had to like retrain myself to the new version of the song so it's a crazy process and i and to answer your question too that go a little deeper is like when you do these big sequences of songs, it's like so easy to make it look like a music video. Visually, what I mean is like doing, being too fancy or like, you have to keep it grounded, at least for this type of movie, because it isn't like La La Land where it breaks into sort of magical realism. This is very grounded and that was the style of this. So I had to show a lot of restraint. Trust me, I wanted to do all sorts of fancy shit, but it just wouldn't have fit the movie. You know, I could have shown, I can do, Fancy camera moves all day. Can't fancy camera moves are not difficult to do. I I think it's more difficult to not do them, <laughs> to show restraint and say, you know what, this belongs in a two shot. Yeah, and going off that, I mean, especially because we're always on no film school, so curious about how that how you actually pulled that off logistically, in keeping the simplicity in mind. How did you convey to your DP, and how did he work with you, Nick? to set up the environment like what tools was he using that were what you wanted to make this more disciplined simple authentic feeling it was an organic process truly of like when we're doing the bigger sequences uh, what i would do with the actors and with eric lynn our amazing dp was i would to keep it in the moment i i, I wouldn't plan stuff out too much so if we were doing Nick's guitar bits, let's say, I can, I can yell over that, right? Because Kiersey's not doing vocals on that take. And you, yeah, it would say strategic things, key phrases like, we're on you, don't fuck this up. <laughs> and I would, from that, I would discern, oh, okay. <laughs> I better do this I right. I better play right. <laughs> but it would be things like, you know, I wouldn't, I would more talk to Eric and say like, you know, like old school Hitchcock, like, you know, on the megaphone type thing, like, all right, now go to a close up. Okay, pan over to Kiersey on the key, whatever, that kind of thing. And when we were getting different elements, I could talk over it. Other times when, when we're getting the live vocal, I obviously couldn't. So, and what I would say is I had great, Eric's a great operator. We had two cameras on a lot of this stuff. And I would really just give the direction ahead of time to the camera operators, hey, this is how we're gonna do it. You focus kind of here, stay here, get a lot of this. And we would do a run and then I'd say, hey, try to get this or that more or whatever. So to me, it was never it was never overly planned. If it was handheld, it was like, hey, you know, move around, rove, like get up, re, you know, just give me options so that we can put it together in the most natural way possible. Um, there were obviously key moments that were very planned out in some of the songs. Like, I have to be here for this moment. But I think an organic approach was the best for that. Does that ring true to your experience as well? Don't don't fucking throw me under the bus, man. <laughs> According to the paperwork I've signed. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. We're good. Sure. I mean, that's all, you know, even on a film uh, that, that is this intimate and small of a crew, uh, you know, you're shooting singles and two shots and wides and the crew is, you know, generously doing their best to stay out of your uh, out, out of your realm, you know, so that we can just be in the scene. 
And, you know, when, when technical moments were required, we were aware of that. But generally, we just trust that if we jump up and down and play the song right, they'll capture it on their, on their photography equipment. Yeah. So what would you say, this is one of those sort of arbitrary questions, what was sort of the biggest obstacle making this film and what did you end up doing to overcome it? And I mean, every movie is like an obstacle in itself, just getting the right elements together of cast and financing and all the craziness of schedule. shooting in New York on a 18 and a half day schedule. <laughs> and, you know, we did an all union shoot, which I'm really proud of for very little money. And I'm really proud of that. Everybody on the on the show was a union member, and if they weren't, they got they got the uh, opportunity to get into the union. Um, I think it's important that uh, crew members and actors are taken care of, and our uh, their health pensions and plans are being looked after, and hours are going towards that. And so, and, you know, all of that is a challenge. You you take away a lot of your ability um, to do stuff because the money's going in that direction, but I feel like you're asking these people to work for less than they normally work. That's the least you can do, is take care of them on that side and keep their union plans solid. So, um, it, you know, every, every movie is just such a challenge, and I think we've talked a lot about the music was a huge part of it, and we won't, you know, I think you kind of got what was challenging about that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, overall, it was fun it was a lot of fun to make this movie and we got to shoot in a record store for like a week and just like hang out and i would spin vinyl you know at lunch and it was just a special we were in brooklyn you know i live in brooklyn it was we were in red hook we were like near my home we shot at my home we shot at my favorite places like baked and sunny's and and uh stinky and it was so great and and I have like iPhone video of us like rehearsing the night before in the dark, you know, we set up the <laughs> thing and we'd rehearse the song and it was like so fun, man. It just had so much love and excitement and energy. So I don't think so much about the challenges as much as I do like the pleasure of it all. Well, that's great. Scene. <laughs> Did you want to add anything to that in terms of obstacles? Um, well, I mean, Person, you know, narcissistically, uh, the obstacle was I had uh, a lot of work to do, more than I'm used to. Uh, um, it reminded me, a few years ago, I did a production of A Confederacy of Dunces on stage in Boston, and I quickly learned, like, day one of rehearsal, I realized it was a three-hour play. I was in a huge fat suit, and it was a very physical and demanding performance with tons of of loud dialogue and uh, uh, playing a very loquacious character. And from the get-go, I was like, oh, I, this is like football camp. Like, I'm not going to go drinking. I'm going to eat like an athlete. I'm going to go home and go to bed every night. And I did for the whole run of the show. That was, all I, that was the only way I could do eight shows a week and maintain. And this movie was similar. Uh, usually... It's so fun. Go shoot a movie in New York, you know. I'm there for a month. And uh, I, the whole time, I, I literally never set foot in Manhattan. Uh, I stayed at a cool apartment in Fort Greene. And even that, it was a super cool apartment, and I was kind of resentful because I was like, 
all I can do is come home, take a shower, go to bed, learn my lines, and and go do my work the next day. So that was my obstacle was just uh, I, I guess I hadn't realized because I ha- haven't been s- such a big role in a movie that it can be quite monastic where you you have to create a Spartan situation where it's like, no, I can't go out to dinner. I, I have to go home. If, if I learn my lines by 11, I can get six hours of sleep before I get picked up. And it's like that day after day. And so... It, it's really fun. I mean, it's just... I end up doing that with all my actors. Because, you know, like, Blythe Danner had the same thing. Like, I've never been the lead of a movie. This is this is crazy. I'm working every day, every scene. She was in every scene of that movie. Same with Sam Elliott and The Hero. They're like, holy shit, man, this is a different... So yeah. I, I tend to do that. It's like, now it's, you're going to work every day. And it's it's the, uh, the metabolism we crave. I mean, yeah. it's... Uh, Whenever I run into that, I always think of Amy Poehler on Parks and Rec because that the TV moves so quickly and she would show up after having shot four days in a row with like two pages of monologues and, you know, at six in the morning, she would write all those things off. I'd be like, man, you are the hardest working person yeah, I've ever seen. superhuman. Yeah. Well, I guess the last thing that I'll ask you um, is if, both of you have sort of a line of advice to others. You know, you've made a bunch of films. Everyone knows you, Nick. Your careers are both um, examples of how you can be members of this thing that's independent film. What's your advice for others looking in at your success from the outside and wanting to know, wanting to reach the point that you're at? I, I, I have an easy one. Uh, quit paying attention to popular culture and instead focus on the simplicity of your own life, whether it's the loved ones, your home, your garden. Make sure that your life is substantial and rewarding without needing a bunch of income. And that will then influence everything else you dream about or want to create. That that strong foundation will make st- stand you a much, much better chance of being happy in your creative work and if your creative work doesn't pan out, the joke's on you because you have a happy life with a healthy garden. So, wonderful. Grow, yeah. grow vegetables. Yeah, grow the, <laughs> grow them them veggies. And I think to build on that, I would say, and I try to tell myself this too all the time, is try to make art uh, from a sincere place and not a place of uh, result. Don't be result oriented. Other than I hope that I make the best movie I can make for the right reasons. If you go into a movie saying, this is going to be a, a financial hit and I'm going to be rich, or this is a uh, going to give me an Academy Award, you're, you're probably starting off at the wrong headspace. It should come from a, you know, a different desire to, tell, to the need to tell this particular story. And I always tell young storytellers that. It's like, why, are you, why this movie? And you better have a really good reason. So have a good reason. Great. Wonderful. Grow veggies, make art. Thank you guys so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing your your thoughts. Thank Thank you very much. Thanks, Oakley. As always, thank you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate it on your preferred podcast platform. Check out Indie Film Weekly. And I'm Oakley Anderson Moore.